I'm Anna Horford, and you're listening to the Celtics Life Podcast. Welcome, everybody, inside the Celtics Life Podcast. I'm Mark Allison, here with my man, Justin Quinn. Lots happened since the last time we were on. The Celtics have moved on from round one with a huge game seven win over the Bucks. We got game one, round two against Philly, already in the books. Big time win for the Celtics. Uh, even down, arguably one of the best players on the floor right now, Jalen Brown. Um, we're going to get into that a little bit. Justin, what's going on, buddy? Well, the season isn't over. And, you know, I consider myself in the camp of people who is surprised by this. Not unpleasantly surprised, obviously, but let me just say that I am very, very impressed with how this team has performed under pressure. Yeah, I think I think you and I both were in agreement that the Bucks were a better matchup than maybe Washington in round one. Uh, I preferred the Heat, but um, I, I still thought the Bucks were at least a good matchup. I mean, when you're when you're looking at Giannis, I mean, they have the best. They had the best player on the floor in the series, uh, but I, th- I think we matched up the depth that we have, even despite missing the people that we have. Really, really came through. We got uh, Marcus Smart came back in Game Five. Uh, it was huge, a shot of adrenaline for the rest of the series. Uh, I, I know it. it we kind of the teams, two teams, took care of home court, obviously. But um, had we not had Smart in that Game Five, that that might have been trouble. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I was really just looking at him as mostly being a defensive threat, and he was mostly a defensive threat in that series, but he is starting to find his rhythm in this new series. I keep trying to jump ahead to the present, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, he's been a really welcome addition back, and honestly, he, even though he has been absolutely huge, he hasn't even really been the defensive stopper that has been swinging the series last round and has been very instrumental in, in the current round. And of course, I'm talking about Shemi here, who basically shut down Giannis as much as you can shut down Giannis yeah. by yourself. Yeah, definitely, I would say the biggest surprise of the first round. Uh, they threw him in the starting lineup, what, game six? Yep. And just... Uh, like you said, there's no stopping that guy, but making him work, uh, getting him in foul trouble. I mean, Shimmy was, he was phenomenal. I mean, I don't think you could have asked for anything more. No, and he's actually starting to uh, become, you know, nobody's going to really be like, you know, putting him in, in the scouting notes or anything like that, but he is actually starting to be able to score a little bit too. So far, he's hit a couple of threes, a couple of buckets, and combined you know that's not that much but i mean if he keeps that up and keeps developing the way that he looks like he's going to he is going to be able to fill a role that marcus smart has kind of carved out for himself not quite on the same level but in terms of general utility that could really set up the celtics in the future for some very intensive defensive lineups yeah, I think, uh, and and I think when Ainge drafted him, three and D guy was was definitely probably worst case scenario. He was going to at least be able to shoot from the outside, and at the same time be a defensive presence. So I mean, already doing that in his rookie year is pretty pretty remarkable. I mean, his the you know the shot hasn't quite come along yet, but um, th- that you can't teach the things that he does on defense and the, and the way that he his physicality. Uh, I mean. It, he was huge down the stretch in that series against Giannis. And, like, you and I were talking about this earlier today. Uh, next year, I mean, how great it'll be. To, we're, we're hoping, you know, the Celtics are somehow able to bring back 
both smart, not trade Rosier and, and make a run next year, you know, with the actual the starters and then that those guys make up your second unit. And I think you have to really put Shimmy in that conversation, too, of guys that are going to be ultimately the huge importance next year. Yeah, I do think that there is a possibility that they can keep these guys together, but it really depends. I mean, if we make it out of this round, particularly with the way that Terry Rozier has been playing, it's going to be very, very hard to find a way to fit him back into a secondary role, even as like a super six man kind of a position for much more than next season. You know, right. Even, even apart from the contract situation. So... You know, we were also talking earlier, too, and, like, I, I actually said something that, I, you know, I still feel kind of dirty saying it, but, you know, in, in the, the post-Isaiah Thomas uh, hip injury era, I have become very injury-averse in terms of, you know, I mean, I've, I've always been not a fan of bringing on guys with chronic injury problems, and Irving's situation, he's got the, the full clearance in terms of structural damage, like nothing nothing to be worried about. So, you know, it's not such a big deal right now, but I'm paranoid. And just in our conversation earlier, I actually admitted that I wouldn't be devastated with the idea if there was any question about the long-term health of Kyrie Irving of, of going all in on Terry Rosier. Now I know it's super premature and that doesn't mean that I think he's going to be anywhere near as good as Kyrie is or might, you know, be in the future, but it says a real, real lot that at this point in his career, it's already very clear that Danny Ainge made the right choice drafting that early, which was really a head scratcher around the league. Yeah. And, and, and when we were talking about this earlier and I, I mean, uh, like you said, you, you can't really put Rogier in, in, in the. He's certainly not on the level of Kyrie. But in in terms of like a, a replacement player, like right now in the playoffs with Kyrie out, um, Rogier does. First of all, he can create offense on his own. He can get his own shot off. He's not quite. He's not nearly. Obviously, not nearly the uh, electric score that that Kyrie is. I mean, he has his nights, but he's you know. We're not talking. He's not dropping fifty. Kyrie is on a whole other level when it comes to that, and he's a better um, distributor as well. But there's other things that Rogier does that you know. Well, we talk about rebounding. He's certainly a better defender. By a lot. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, it's it's interesting that you can have a guy that does a lot of different dynamic things and yet uh, still provides. He can still provide some of that offensive punch, anyways, right? I mean, we saw what he did on Monday night. You, you know, he can carry some of that load obviously he's not as consistent and certainly not on the level that Kyrie's on but we were talking about that earlier today as well as like if you were gonna have a guy be his backup understudy uh, he, he can kind of fill some of that role and, and bring other things to the table too that maybe offset some of the you know downgrade you get offensively but he it's my thing is and, and here's if if we have these guys next year, I mean, we're going to have where where you we're talking about Rogier not being able to really put him back in that super sub role. I mean, we were trying to talk figure out today if earlier if it would even be possible. I mean, next year you'd be talking about Rogier, Smart, and, you know, both coming off the bench. Um, obviously, that all hinges on whether or not Marcus Smart is re-signed in the offseason. Obviously, we're sure the Celtics will be interested. Price tag could be who knows. So, 
what what are your thoughts on on that? Where where do you see? It, do you think it's possible that, that both of them are back next year? Because my thinking is, my thinking is, if Marcus Smart gets re-signed, it wouldn't shock me if Rogier does get dealt on a sell high, just because, like you said, with with both Kyrie and Rogier contracts up next year. They're going to try and re-sign Kyrie unless, like you said, some there's really some injury concern there, which obviously we're all hoping that's not the case. So do you, would you sell high on Rogier? I, that's, I should point it that way. If, if that's the case, if you've got a healthy Kyrie, you got Marcus Smart signed up for, you know, f- four years, uh, $32 million, something like that. Are you selling high on Rogier? And how high can we sell on Rogier? It's really hard to say. I do think that it's a possibility you could get him to resign on a shorter term deal. We talked about this last week on the podcast with Jeff Siegel, and he seems to think that it's not out of the question that we could at least get a short term deal out of him. And I would be very, very into an extension of like a, a player option in the second year of a two year deal, something, something that will hold him over at a relatively good price while the cap is kind of constricted because there's not a lot of money out there in general. That's one of the reasons why we have a shot at being able to keep Marcus Smart next. Uh, I almost mm-hmm. said next semester because I am so burnt out from, from, from grading. It's finals week in college and I teach college, so I am cooked in that regard. Get your mind right. Yeah. But that said, because of the unique situation that the Celtics are looking at, and the whole league really, in terms of available cap space around for free agents to sign, for the next two seasons or so, until until that 2016 money starts coming off the books, there's not going to be a lot of high-level good money deals out there unless it's for a sign-and-trade. There's, there's mm-hmm. unlikely to be a situation where... He can Terry Rozier can just waltz into another team on a sign and trade and be contending at the level he's likely to with the Celtics. So he's got a real shot, real shot at a ring while he still has a reasonable excuse to still be coming off the bench just because he hasn't done it for a whole season yet and he's still under contract. So, you know, I think as long as the Celtics aren't snake bit next season. A lot of things that we talked about in that podcast, potentially Al Horford re-signing when he comes up a year after that uh, on a cheaper, you know, you know, gears and not dollars kind of a deal. A lot of these things are really going to be contingent on what ends up happening next season. And, you know, I really, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go out and say that I expect everyone to be healthy all season long because we've been seeing more injuries than ever in the NBA. I think a lot of that has to do with the way that the game has been changing. But I really don't see us having a season where we have more crucial injuries than we have this season. So I do think the possibility is out there. The short answer is we're going to have to wait and see. Well, while we got Terry on the mind here, uh, obviously the unanimous victor in the Terry Rogier versus uh, Drew Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe uh, feud, um, which you know, uh, clearly at the end of the series, those guys put that aside. Um, but what? How about Drew Bledsoe showing up on the jumbotron? That was right? cool, man. <laughs> that that was that was awesome, and I'm a huge Drew Bledsoe stan. Okay, huge Pats fan. 
Um, I grew up watching Bledsoe. Don't get me wrong. Brady's my boy, but um, Drew was the guy when I was a kid. He was, you know, he was the guy. So uh, I thought that was awesome. I thought that was really cool that they got him involved. Um, and, and beyond that, rolling into game one, Terry Rozier, is it a coincidence, shows up in a Drew Bledsoe jersey and drops 29 on Philly in, in game one with a, with a masterful performance. I mean, he was electric on Monday night. He's, he's hitting over 50% from three at home. I think he hit like seven of nine in that game. And while, while we mm-hmm. can't expect that to continue, it was really amazing to watch. I have been a very big, shall we say, critic of the takes going around the NBA media sphere that the 76ers are somehow suddenly the lock to make it to the NBA Finals, which they're a good team. Let me just go right ahead and say that they are a very good team. They have a bright future, but let's not forget that around the time of the London game, we were all, including many 76ers analysts, wondering if they were even going to make the playoffs. They tore off a massive, I think it was like a 16-game regular season winning streak plus one more game into the uh, first round of the playoffs before they dropped the game to Miami. Uh, but as I wrote about last week, five of those teams, of which at least one of them I know they played more than once, were actively trying to lose. And several more of them probably should have been. So with that in mind, none of them, none of them really being one of the top teams in the NBA, like top five or six teams. For them to suddenly be struggling against the league's best defense at home, you know, when they're an away team, that is mm-hmm. not that big of a surprise to me at all. And no. I don't think that they are going to be the team in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, it, the Celtics, obviously, huge advantage. We saw it in the last round, and we have home court. Um, worked hard all year for that. So it's you're, you're right. I, I, it's The Celtics are they are not going to have as easy of a time, though, that we saw on Monday night. No. I, I would, you know, I expect a, a motivated Philly team to come out Thursday night uh, in Boston. I mean, the Celtics, the, really the pressure's on them, though. They have to take that game to hold on to home court. Um, we, we saw them. They weren't quite the same on the road last series. You know, we've been one of the best road teams in the league all year, but we're also missing our quarterback from the season in Kyrie, who was probably, you know, the biggest steadying presence on the team. You know, he's a... Uh, He's got a championship under his belt. This guy knows how to win in any building. So I think that's part of the reason why they've they've struggled last series, and and we'll see what happens this series. Philly's another pretty hostile environment. But that being said, game one at home, we saw, obviously we've already talked about Rogier had a monster game. Al continued his great performance from last series. Uh, he's been the best player on the floor for the Celtics, the, the playoffs. And Jason Tatum with a huge game one. And in fact, what was the number? Uh, Rogier, Al, and Tatum combined for, what was it, 83 points? points. Yep. More, 83 points. More than the last No one's three. done that. Three, three guys. No Celtics have done that since we've had, since the big three. And it was during our championship year that they all did that. Yes, indeed. Uh, 07, 08 playoffs there. Pretty, pretty remarkable. And especially with uh, one of the guys is a rookie and the other guy is uh, the backup point guard who is now the point guard and basically the engine that makes the team go. 
Yeah, Tatum actually is also the youngest player in NBA history to score 25 points or more in a conference semifinals game. You know, there's a lot to really be excited about here. What did you think about the the chant that was coming out when he was shooting free throws? He's a rookie. Yeah. That was pretty cool. And um and and likewise, the other one pointed at uh one Ben Simmons, and we've had a lot of discussions over this the past two years, this year and last year, um, on the podcast about the the rookies. Uh last year we were talking Embiid. This year we're talking Ben Simmons, these guys that have been in the league. It's not really their rookie season, even though it's counted as their rookie season. I don't care what anybody says. Um, not quite the same thing when they've been around the team a year or more. Learning plays, um, getting access to right. the trainers and the regimen, and just about every other benefit you could possibly have besides actual floor time. You know, and this is funny, and I – this. I was listening last week to an uh, uh, interview with uh, Bill Belichick, or maybe it was during a press conference, and he was talking about Patriot players that were injured this season that are coming back into the fold next year. Guys that went down in the preseason, rookies, went down in the preseason um, and, and missed the entire season, ACLs or, or whatever, whatever it be. And uh, he was talking about how you can't – He was, and this is totally – that you know wasn't in regards to talking about basketball or anything but he was talking about how you know do you guys do you consider these guys rookies when they're coming into their next year because you haven't you know seen them and and he said that really there's no comparison because they're these guys have been around the team they've learned our system for a year uh you know while they may be rookies in terms of entering you know being a part of the team on the field uh these guys have been around the team all year uh, and you know, maybe football's a little different in terms of the preparation and whatnot, but that's still a huge advantage for guys, uh, coming into the NBA. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. I don't know how they could ever fix that. You know, there's, there's a lot of arguments, many different ways over how, you know, separating the award or creating certain criteria, how that could be problematic in a lot of ways, but some kind of recognition I think needs to be made. You know, even if it's- yeah, I mean, and you know what? I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I understand that, you know, it technically it's their rookie season. I don't really think the NBA should do anything about it. I just think that all us fans in our heads know that there's a little asterisk when you're having, you know, guys that just this, have say, done this. An asterisk and that's all that to needs it. to be made. I, I don't think they should go and do anything with the award or change anything. I just think that everyone should take note and know that, you know, it, it's uh, it's an unfair advantage. And it's not and a knock against Simmons it, either. He's going to be... No, no, a terrific player. player. And, I, and I don't, I'm, I have nothing, you know, even though Donovan Mitchell's really the rookie of the year this year, but, um, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. still... Agreed. Uh, you know, yeah, but, uh, you know, yeah. What, what am I to say, you know? But that, that's all I'm saying, you know, just pointing that out. Um, so those guys had Monster Game once. You know who didn't? Game... One guy that didn't, uh, Jalen Brown, didn't get to play. No, 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 two uh, guys, handy two guys. Game. Who's the other guy? Markel Fultz. Oh, right, 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 right. Well, I was thinking Celtics. This is Celtics life here. Fair, but, fair. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm But he was I'm, almost so, a Celtic. Yeah. Well, one of them sat because they were injured, and the other one was a coach's decision not to play. So, uh, you know, a little different. My heart. So Jalen's out, uh, set to return on Thursday. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, he said in an interview yesterday or today that uh, this is a two-week injury, and he's trying to, you know, 
authenticate that to however many days it was since uh, he last uh, he played. Uh, so it less than a week anyway. Hammy strain. I remember him saying during the game it was just a, a cramp, and uh, it looks clearly looked worse than that. So we, uh, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, his? Uh, I don't know situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, what what do you, what do you, what do you think? Well, if I were Jalen Brown, I would sit, even if they lose, because they're up a game, and the worst thing that happens is now they have three games maximum apiece to pull it out, both teams. He really shouldn't even be playing in in the first place, in my opinion. If it's really a grade one hamstring, and I trust the medical staff to do the right thing here, then it is a two-week to three-week injury for proper healing. He can, if he's lucky, play fluid enough, and if he's very careful, not re-injure it, but the thing with hamstring injuries is they almost never heal quickly and they're very easy to re-injure. So in these situations, it's always better to just rest if you can. And I would really, really, really love, I do think we can beat the 76ers based on what I saw without his presence, at least early in the series. He should at least sit, in, in my opinion, sit until Sunday just to be a little extra cautious because, like I said, even if they drop the game, they still have three more games, as does Philadelphia, to decide the series. And honestly, we saw just how big of a step he took with having the summer, the full summer, available to work on his game. If he ups the ante and gives himself a grade two or, you know, really does some tearing in that Yeah, hamstring, then we're talking about, right... Months mm -hmm. of no development and really negative development because then he's going to have to get back in the game shape while not picking yep. up anything. So that's my, uh, well, that's my, my opinion. My thing is I would think that the medical staff is not going to put him in a situation um, where if they think it's, it's you know, really serious chance that he's going to re-injure it, I, I don't think they'll let him go out there based on what we've seen all year. Uh, we've had Gordon Hayward, who's been pining to get back on the floor, and, you know, they basically shot that down. Like, I mean, we still, I guess there's still a glimmer of hope if somehow we made it to the conference finals or the finals. Uh, people stole and out some hope, even though Danny Ainge and, and Brad Stevens will probably tell you that that is definitely not going to happen. Um, I, it's The team is erred on the side of caution all year long, so... I, my thinking is if they put him out there, it's because they, they are, they're confident that he's not going to put himself in a situation where it's going to hurt it. But like you said, uh, that's a, it's a tough call to make. I mean, obviously they're trying to win series, even if, even if they don't think they can quite finish the whole thing. Uh, I'm obviously they're, they're still going to try for that, but you know, they're not going to put the guys in harm's way when they're trying to go into next year fresh. It's the um, right attitude. It's the yeah. wrong time. Right. Right. So um, uh, last week on the pod, you and Siegel talked about uh, focusing on Simmons. That was going to be a huge um, point for the Celtics this series. If they can control him, a lot of the other things will fall into the place. Uh, how do you feel they fared up uh, game one? Obviously the score, um, but in terms of containing Simmons. I'll tell you what, man. Jeff knows his stuff, or maybe he just knows what Danny is going to be doing because that is exactly the game plan that they had. They covered him amazingly. He just did not get almost any good looks inside the paint. And at the same time, they managed to keep their perimeter coverage representative of the best in the league that it is. You know, They didn't take any mm -hmm. steps back 
despite losing Jalen Brown, who's been a huge part of that. So, right. Frankly speaking, I would say, you know, they followed that game plan almost like it was their game plan, and I have no complaints. I do think that they really can't expect all of the shooters that Philadelphia has picked up since the trade. Shoot that poorly. <laughs> it's just right. not possible. I don't care how good our defense is, man. That's mm-hmm. They will not shoot that bad again. Yeah. Um, or, or at least they're not going to shoot that bad in multiple games going forward. Maybe they have another game where they shoot poorly, but um, yeah, you have to expect they're going to hit some shots, especially when they get back to Philly and they get the crowd behind them too. So uh, best best that the Celtics take care of business on Thursday and send this up 2-0, they'll be in a good situation. What kind of adjustments do you expect from Philadelphia going into the next round? I know uh, I read some tweets today, and I thought this was pretty funny. Um, about Philadelphia, um, they should watch some game tape on Milwaukee. Uh, the, after game one, expect Philadelphia to watch some Milwaukee game tape and how they dealt with the Celtics uh, pick and roll. And and uh, and I I laughed to myself because isn't that something they should have done before game one? A lot of people think that that's the adjustment that they're going to make. Uh, thoughts? What what do you think it is that the uh, Sixers need to uh, focus in on? I think we've or seen, will focus in on. Yeah, I think I think we've seen pretty well. You know, Embiid is in a lot of ways similar to Giannis, but he is much less polished of a shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know his his perimeter game is a little bit better, but I mean overall he's he's not that good of a jump shooter, and he is a little bit less important to the 76ers overall in terms of what he can bring to the table uh, for scoring. If you shut him down, then really you just have to worry about the perimeter players. In that situation, we see that Boston is aggressively defending the perimeter while also either having semi. Aaron uh, Baines or Al Horford covering Simmons, which has worked great so far. Now, mm-hmm. when when Al is on him, that's great. When Se- when when Shemi is on him, that's also going to work. But when Aaron Baines is the guy who is covering Embiid, then it's not, not going to work. Yeah. yeah, you can you, not quite quick enough. Yeah. yeah, and if you have, for example, uh, Ben Simmons, you know kind of doing more of a point LeBron kind of a thing where he does bring the ball up, but then he gets off ball as fast as possible, have it start moving around the perimeter so that way they have to guard their perimeter more aggressively and then cuts into into the paint more often and, and kind of functions at the elbow, ready to be instant offense in that regard in his comfort zone then I think he's going to be a lot more more dangerous in, in terms of an offensive threat. As we know, he has not – I don't think he's hit any three-pointers this season, and his, his, his near-the-basket game is really the only game that he has offensively. But that's a situation where controlling Embiid, keeping him from slashing to the basket, while also controlling the perimeter players, that is probably their best chance in my opinion. Yeah, and, it, and I think also – I think we, pro- we provo- propose a, a- – Difficult matchup, at least for Embiid. Not um, in the fact that when we throw like Horford at him and then Baines at him, they come at him two completely different styles of the defense in the way that they play. Um, you know, and uh, I think that that like late in the game they switched Horford onto him for a while, and uh, it seemed like he was struggling versus when he was playing against Baines earlier. And I, I think there that um, Stevens did a good job of switching up the the people on him. 
Whereas, like, he sometimes gets off his game when, when he doesn't, when he's not, you know, into the spots. Like, when he, when he doesn't, he's not up against necessarily the same guy. And I, I think they did a good job of mixing up the coverage on him and stuff. Outside of the playoffs, uh, we got assistant coach Jay Laranga. Nick's looking at him. Uh, any thoughts on that, Justin? It really depends on what they're looking for. It's kind of one of those most desirable if you're egotistical, least desirable if you're sane kind of positions. We all know that James Dolan is a terrible owner. We also all know that Madison Square Garden is the mecca of basketball, at least in terms of the NBA. So, I don't know. If I were Jay Laranaga, I would not take the job. However, if I were James Dolan, that's exactly the kind of guy I would want. Just because you hire Doc Rivers, you hire a Jeff Van Gundy, any 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 one of those established retreads, you're gonna you're gonna end up clashing with them. You're gonna end up with a Hornacek kind of a situation where even even if they do listen, it's not gonna work out so great trying to to deal with the whims of a guy who really doesn't seem to know any more about putting together a basketball team than he knows about public relations, which is to say not much. Honestly, if I were were, were, were Laranaga, I would stick around and wait for a better opening. You know, I mean, he was actually up for the Celtics position before they ended up hiring uh, Brad Stevens, you know, so he's not held in lower guard around the league. Yeah, he's definitely revered here. That's for sure. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. I think that's the right kind of move for the Knicks. I just know that the Knicks won't do the right thing and hire somebody. Well, I mean, whether Jay wants to go or not, there's other assistant coaches around the league. They don't have to go and get a name, um, even though you just know that they will. They'll probably end up with either one of the retreads like you talked about or trying to get a big name from college, which might be um, a good move on their part. I know they were trying to uh, pull Jay right away from uh, Villanova. <laughs> he's never he's not going that. anywhere. But I mean, he did. He did. He did allude to the fact that you know he would listen, um, perhaps to you know it's the Knicks. You don't just you know you know you don't just spit at them. But um, sure. given the history of the franchise, obviously the last twenty years or so hasn't quite been. Uh, ideal for them but um you know it's still the mecca of basketball new york city um but there's other coaches i mean look we got brad stevens from butler there's other coaches around the country um that are with smaller programs that maybe they they could go after and that's probably their best case but this isn't nick's life so we won't go too crazy down that path Uh, other outside of the playoff news um the the celtics still have a shot to get the Lakers pick this year. Do you, what are the odds, Justin? 4%. I think it's 4.1 or 4.2. I don't have it in front of me, but it's it's very, very, very tiny. And that's uh, us ending up anywhere. It, that's their pick landing anywhere from 2 to 5. Yeah. Okay. There's a chance, but uh, I wouldn't want to be the guy getting sent to be the Celtics uh, lottery representative. Probably not going to be doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what? Wait, so what, now we don't. We wouldn't send a guy to the lottery, though. Now would we? 
I mean, they could. They'd have the right to because they're in the running for one of those picks. But, I mean, I really doubt they're going to just yeah, but because... Wait, 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 they'd be off screen and then they just kind of like, uh, oh, they could do something like a trap door under the Lakers. Whoever the Lakers guy is, he just falls through the floor. And then, and then you know, we just uh, all of a sudden, here comes Tommy Hudson, you know? And that would be pretty cool. Um, I would definitely pay money to watch that, but uh, something tells me it's not in the cards. Yeah, I, probably not. But hey, listen, Adam Silver, if uh, ideas, I got a lot more like that too. So uh, dunk tanks, let's get some dunk tanks. Get at me, yeah, for sure. All right, Justin, you got this new segment. Who would win? So basically, this is just another idea to keep the end of the podcast a little lively, give you something to look forward to. Uh, this one is really, it's just whimsical. It's not anything too deep. Whimsical. I like Whimsical. It. it is two guys, or girls, as the case may be, uh, in the future. But today it's guys with scores to settle. Whether they are friendly scores, enemy scores, frenemy scores. It's just when people need to work some stuff out. It's not on the court. It's not about basketball. It's anything but basketball. So I wonder who this matchup could possibly be. Well, I'll tell you what. One of them, I can't fucking remember what his name is. God damn it. Oh, wait, wait, Drew. Drew. Bre- Breadstick? Drew Breadstick. Eric Bledsoe and Terry Rozier. Scary Terry. For the inaugural edition, we are going to present our cases. We have not rehearsed this at all, and it could be awful, and if it is, we'll never make you listen to it again. But... <laughs> I think it's going to be pretty interesting. For the first of the duels, who would win? Terry Rozier or Eric Bledsoe at Mixed Martial Arts? Mixed Martial Arts. Ooh. Well, Rozier's what? 6'2"? Mm-hmm. What does Rozier weigh? Um, and, I mean, they're, we're talking about guys, these guys are about the same size, but Bledsoe's a little stockier, though. Although, I, I would have to say... I, I would I would guess mm-hmm. Terry is a little lanky. He's kind of crazy. Um, you know, I, I feel like he'd be like one of those submission experts. You know what I mean? Somebody that can just you know they start rolling around on the ground and he's got you in a triangle and you know that that I, I'm going with Terry. I actually went the other way in this particular instance, just because of the fact that. You know, Eric doesn't really have the intense defensive ability, but due to stack, man, he is strong. And that was really like the hallmark of his defense game. He was kind of Marcus Smart-like defender before we had Marcus Smart being what he was, mm-hmm. at least in the NBA. So for me, I kind of look at him as being the submission. Like if you if you can stay away from him, and Terry's got those really long limbs, so it would be quite believable that that seven foot wingspan could just knock him out before there was any chance he'd get him into a submission hold. But I kind of feel like that if scary got ahead of himself, the way he kind of does sometimes and got locked up in a submission hold, that'd be lights out. Yeah. He's got 15 pounds on him. So, so Terry, and this is, we're talking Wikipedia here. So I, I have no idea how accurate these readings are today, but on the internet, it's gotta be true. Right. So Terry's six two one ninety. Bledsoe's 6'1", 205. I, yeah, he, he's probably, he would probably be able to pound him, <laughs> ground and pound him into uh, uh, 
Uh, that's a pretty significant uh, blow there. I, I'll, I'll go with you on that one. I, I think Bledsoe probably wins the MMA match. All right. Next round. Checkers. Who wins? Checkers. Red and black. <sighs> this is easy for me. I, I don't. I, checkers. You. You. Do you have a, a legitimate um, uh, strategy here to why you would choose someone? Because checkers isn't exactly uh, <laughs> a huge game of strategy here. Yeah, but it's pretty easy to win somebody by faking them out, mm-hmm. and I don't think there is any evidence whatsoever that Eric Bledsoe has a long game in mind based on what we saw in the last series. You know, he. He took he took offense to a you know legitimate slight, but he did it in such a way that he basically hoisted himself by his own petard. So mm-hmm. I'm going easily with Terry in this. Terry will just I see know, it. Place, Set him up for a double stupid. jump, yeah, uh, and, and just totally nailed. get him off his game. Yeah, if you yep. make a make a mistake, and yep, no, I like it. I like it. I'm with you. Okay, round three, dueling pianos. Oh, now is there? I, I don't know if either one of these guys has a uh, uh, musical background. Do you have any kind of uh, knowledge into this? I really don't, but, you know... Terry's got those Terry, lanky fingers, man. I was going to say, yeah. yeah I, 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 he's probably... Yeah, man. I, I, I mean, based on... If we're talking based on just makeup alone, um, I'm, I'm going Terry based on his physical traits. Well... Have you ever been to a, a dueling piano bar? Yeah, do we actually have a really good one in Providence? Oh, you're not going to like my, my conclusion here, then. Uh oh. I hate piano bars, man. And... Oh, come on. <laughs> so, as far as I'm concerned, nobody wins. All right, when so everybody wins pianos. the piano bar. Hey, man, I like yep. piano bars, man. Shout outs to uh, dueling pianos, Point Street. All right. Next round Beer Pong. Hmm. Uh, so I, I think we have to go with the uh, shooting splits on this one, right? Sure, why not? What is I don't even know what Bledsoe shoots, to be honest with you. Uh, well, are we talking for the season, or are we talking lately? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. You have a hot night, right? I mean, Terry out, definitely outshot him last series. Um, so, yeah, he can get hot in a night in beer pong. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take the hot hand. Yeah. I got Terry. I'm going with Terry also. Also, the guy I'd want taking the big shot when you get down to the final cup. Yeah. I don't want Eric Bledsoe shooting it. No, probably not right? over. I, I feel real good about, <laughs> about Terry. All right. Final round. Monopoly. Hmm. I don't know. What, what do you got? Well, so far... It seems like Terry Rosier is a very selfless guy because he's played for the entire season behind Kyrie just about, despite having this ability. Now, normally, in basketball, for example, that can be a good thing. But at the end of the day, when, when it's about getting yours, and I really hope this isn't a forecast of the future, it might not be such a good thing in Monopoly to be... A generous fellow with your peers. So in this particular case, you know, we saw a very good example of how Eric Bledsoe's selfish desire to to win his one-on-one matchup with Terry Rozier ended up hurting his team. And Monopoly, I think that is actually a plus. He's killer killer instinct. Yep. All for yourself. So let's review. Mixed martial arts. Terry, right? Yep. Checkers. Well, you got Bledsoe. 
I said I changed my mind to Bledsoe too. He's got 15 pounds. Okay, on. so Bledsoe for mixed martial arts, Terry for yeah. checkers. Yeah. Dueling Nobody wins is dueling. Is a draw. So we got one and one. Beer pong. Terry takes the. It's edge. a push. It's a push. So we we need a tiebreaker. I can't. I can't. I can't sleep if we don't have one. Well, I think we can use. How about rocks, paper, scissors? Rocks, paper, scissors. Mm-hmm. I I feel like Terry has the 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 sleight of hand. You know, he's a he's a magician with the ball. Magician throwing those signs out there. I'm taking Terry. Yeah, I mean, with his knowledge of signs belonging to civic organizations of a non-governmental nature. I, I think you might have a point there. So Terry takes it. All right. Winner, winner. So guys, don't forget to check out the links at the top of CelticsLife.com. We've got a huge variety of shirts and hoodies in the store. You can even get tickets to the next game under that heading. That game is Thursday night. Uh, you can always find the blog on blo- uh, the pod. You can find the pod on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and most other podcatcher apps. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please hook us up and rate us five stars. And if you don't like anything or have some suggestions, get us a comment on any Celtics Life article or on Twitter with that hashtag CLPod. We're always trying to beef up the coverage for you guys and uh, bring you what you want to hear. Um, so heading into game two, we'll see you guys later this weekend, I imagine. Justin, take it easy, buddy. You too, man. And hey. Later, guys. Go Celtics. Peace.